0: Great Kids is brought to you by Cooper Tire. Friends, I'm a safety nut, and isn't it crazy to think that your four tires are all that connect you and your car to the road? Thankfully, Cooper Tires has more than a century of experience in manufacturing comfortable, capable tires. Each Cooper tire is made to last for thousands of miles and to help you safely get to where you need to go and back again. Their dedication to quality means they understand precisely why your tires matter, which is why you can count on Cooper, an American company since 1914. For more information or to find a Cooper Tires dealer near you, visit coopertire.com. Count on Cooper and visit coopertires.com today. And by Squeeze. Tastiness is the number one reason kids choose a snack. So providing an option that's both tasty and healthy is a no-brainer. Made entirely of orchard-fresh apples and other wholesome fruit, Go-Go Squeeze is an all-natural, 100% fruit snack with no artificial anything. It comes in a squeezable pouch, so kids can enjoy it anytime, anywhere. And with 14 great-tasting varieties, just calling it Applesauce, doesn't even begin to describe it they even offer fruit and veggies blends like mighty mango made with apple mango and butternut squash or zippin zingin pear made with pears apples and carrots your kids are sure to love it so try Go squeeze today For 30-plus years, I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 36 kids, and faith. I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Today, I'm excited to be talking with author, husband, father of three, and the North American director of Robbie Zacharias Ministries, Abdu Murray, about the role of faith in the life of a child. Also in this episode, I'll be featuring a listener question from a hurting mom who is newly separated from an unfaithful spouse and wants to know how to best parent their four-year-old through it all. As always, I'll share my points to ponder for you to start using right away. And parents, remember, don't just download episodes, click subscribe. When you do that, you're joining my parenting revolution and every new episode will automatically show up in your subscribed list. We'd love for you to write us a review on iTunes and let us know what you think. Also, not only are we on iTunes, but the Parenting Great Kids podcast is also available in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. So, no matter where you get your podcast, subscribe today and don't miss a single episode. So, here are my points to ponder. One, tell your kids that. Any question is welcomed at any time. You know, kids love having a place to think and discuss and wonder. And they feel this way because they like to hear themselves think. It's amazing how kids will open up when they feel they can honestly ask any question and not worry about their parents getting upset. Find a way to give your kids space to ask their questions. Maybe you want to use dinner time. Maybe you want to use after school. Maybe you want to use breakfast time as a time to come to your kids and say, hey, what are you thinking about? What is school like? Do you ever wonder about X? When your kids ask questions, don't feel like you need to have the answers ready to fire. You may or may not have an answer to a question and kids don't mind that. What they want is to simply know that they can confide in you and trust you to respect and be interested in what they have to say. I guarantee once you are sincere about inviting your kids to ask any question at any time, they'll ask the questions. And when they do, be ready to stop what you're doing and listen to them. Don't ignore them. Don't stay on your phone and answer emails or text your friends. Dig with your kids. Wonder with them. Respond to their questions with a question. When you do this, your son or daughter will feel very important. They'll feel encouraged to think more deeply, and they'll feel respected. When kids feel respected and important to their parents, They feel loved. So keep those conversations alive with your kids so they can learn to think, be closer to you, and walk away from time with you feeling more loved. Second, the best way to grow closer to your kids is to ask them questions. You will hear that when Abdu speaks to teens and young adults They come in droves. Many times the crowds that Abdu speaks to are standing room only. And these are college kids with a lot of questions and sometimes some animosity. Why is this? Because Abdu has learned two very important skills in reaching people younger than himself. He asks them questions rather than correct the people that are asking him questions and just give answers, dispense information. He listens to the questions. He listens to their concerns. He respects their ideas and then often answers their questions with more questions. Why do you think that? Why do you ask that? What makes you wonder about that? What are your deeper concerns? In other words... He invests in those he speaks with. You know, often parents lament to me that their kids really don't wanna talk to them. I hear this a lot, whether kids are teenagers or pre-adolescents, and then kids tell me why this is. They feel, they say, that their parents really aren't interested in hearing the answers. That the parents are just often asking them questions only to set them up and correct the answers that they're gonna give. So they feel like parents really aren't interested in what they have to say. And that they feel their parents engage in conversation only when they have to teach their kids something. You know, i found that most kids do wanna talk. And they wanna talk to their parents. We can't expect kids to change, so we must change our tactics if we want our kids to talk to us. So rather than simply ask kids questions in order to set them up for correction, ask your kids questions just for questions sake, and then just listen to their answers. Dig with them. Ask them why they believe what they said, And don't be defensive about it. Really ask them why they think that. Where did they come up with a question? Where did they come up with a conclusion? Who did they hear it from? Ask why they feel the way they do. When we do this in a manner that lets our kids know we're waiting for their answers, not so we can change their mind, but we want to hear their answers because we just want to hear their thoughts, their feelings, and what they wonder about. And third... Teach your kids that truth beyond themselves exists, that there is objective truth. You know, many parents are taught that what really matters to themselves and kids is their experience and their feelings. We're often asking our kids, how do you feel? Why do you wonder that? And nowadays, a lot of kids will come back and say, I know this is true because this is my experience. Well, maybe that's true and maybe it isn't true. And we're not teaching kids to think beyond their own feelings and their own experiences. But this is where our collective culture is heading. We're being told that truth beyond ourselves doesn't really exist and it doesn't matter, but what really matters is our feelings. We define what's good, bad, right, wrong, blue or green. We're telling young children that they can define everything in their lives, from their sexuality, their gender, their identity, their thoughts, whatever, according to the way they feel. And feelings, of course, are very important, but they're not the most important. Friends, there's no faster way to make kids crazy than to give a young child a serious task that they are nowhere near equipped to handle. And most importantly, we're teaching our kids that no truth exists beyond what they can see and feel. And this isn't right. This teaching is misguided and wrong. Truth does exist beyond ourselves. The sun is real and warms the earth. Very specific antibiotics kill very specific bacteria. Science teaches us truth, but does so does religion and philosophy how cruel it is to teach children otherwise simply because we're told to do so most importantly kids intuitively know that truth exists a sense of what is true and what is false what is right and what is wrong is built into kids when we deny this to them they feel crazy but when we affirm it they feel validated and they continue to think deeply so parents should never be afraid to first wrestle with what we believe is true beyond our feelings and experience and then teach this to our kids this is our right and responsibility as good parents to guide our kids into knowing truth from falsehood they won't get it from school so they've got to get it at home Parents, we all know that talking with our kids about sex is uncomfortable. And when it comes to having that initial talk with your child about sex when they're about eight years old, I always say in every couple, there's one who's a chicken and one who's an even chicken who just won't have the talk at all. But the truth is, no matter how uncomfortable it is, beginning a conversation about sex early with your child is extremely important because it puts you in the driver's seat. The tricky part is, many parents often don't know where to begin or where to end. What if they say the wrong thing? What if they talk too much or too little or use the wrong words? Too often, not knowing how or when they should approach Approach the topic of sex with their child, many parents just don't do it. And then this leaves your child at the hands of the culture or his friends to teach him about sex. I have created a digital toolkit just for you called How to Have the Talk with Your Child. It walks you through the process of having that initial conversation with your child about sex. The toolkit's packed with a variety of resources and all the information you need to get ready to have that initial conversation, including ages and stages chart to help you determine when to have the talk with your child. There's an ebook on talking to your child about sex, a script to help guide you through the discussion, and for those of you who are really, really chicken, you're the big chicken, it even includes a video of me giving the talk directly to your child. How easy is that? Talking to your child about sex doesn't need to be intimidating or scary. It can be really a great experience, and it'll help you establish a strong Relationship with your child. This month, I'm excited to offer you how to have the talk with your child toolkit for 20 to 0% off. Just go to my website, megmeekermd.com, click on parenting resources and user code TALKPODCAST when you check out Parents. This topic about sex is far too important to hand over to somebody else to talk to your kids about. You need to do it. Go to my website, check out how to have the talk with your child toolkit, 20% off. You need to stay in the driver's seat when it comes to talking to your kids about sex and I'm here to help. So parents, thanks for listening. This is episode number 36. Stay with us. Now, I want you to listen in on a conversation I had with Abdu Murray about the importance of faith in the life of children. I know you're really going to enjoy it. Well, Abdu, thanks so much for being with me. This is going to be a fun conversation.
1: I'm looking forward to it as well. Thanks, Mike, for having me.
0: You know, I thought I would let our listeners know a little bit about you before we dive into what I really want to talk about. You're an attorney, but now you are working full-time traveling the world with RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, really as an apologist for the Christian faith. What prompted you to make such a dramatic shift in your career?
1: Well, you know, it's based on the idea that I'm a natural-born advocate. I sort of recognize the things that... um Uh, sort of God has built into me. Um, If if I tend to believe in a cause or believe in something, I want to take a stand for it, Uh, which is one of the reasons why I became a lawyer in the first place is that Mm -hmm. I wanted to, um, you know, sort of object and pound on tables and make my my argument. Um, And I love the idea of evidence as well. Um, But I also was an undergraduate uh, in psychology, and so I wanted to work with people and understand people and help them with their problems. So you take those two things, working with people, trying to... I think, help them uh, personally, plus being an advocate and enjoying evidence and argument works. And it's just a natural sort of mesh together with um, being a, an apologist with RZIM, where we minister to people at the, at the at the level of their deepest, not only intellectual, but also emotional needs as well. So it was a natural fit for me um, as I was uh, being a lawyer, um, doing my, my job as a commercial litigator. Um, I'm still licensed as a lawyer, by the way, um, mm-hmm. but... Um, I started getting a lot of invitations and, and, and opportunities to speak and, and write, and as those grew more and more, I, fi- I figured, you know what, it's a time to um, uh, do this on a more concerted and intentional level, and mm-hmm. the Lord's really blessed me with opportunities to do that more and more as I was responding to His call. I think uh, He blessed that with giving me more opportunities to respond to His call, mm-hmm. and uh, the rest, of they say, is history.
0: I mean, you really are, for anybody who has not heard you speak or read any of your books, and we are going to talk about your your book, Grand Central Questions, which is phenomenal. Um, I love how you speak, because I've never heard anybody else speak the way you do, which is you always answer questions by digging deep with people, asking them questions, and you're a, very intentional listener and I love that because so many times when we ask questions of people they don't really listen to the question and they certainly don't listen to our answer and so I think God has blessed you with that ability to really listen to people and try to figure out what are you really asking me and I think that as far as parents go that's an very important skill for parents to have when their kids come to them and ask questions to say what are you really asking me and can I really answer your questions so that's what I'd really like to equip parents with in our time together you grew up as a Muslim and now you are an apologist for the Christian faith how did that come about
1: well, uh, <laughs> it's a great question, and the nutshell version of that is that I was pretty serious about being a Muslim, actually. I thought Islam was true, and everyone should believe it. I was trying to knock the faith out of people at a uh, fairly young age, where I was not trying to knock the faith of, in God out of people, because I, I believed in God, but I wanted to convert Christians mostly to Islam. And the reason why I was Christians in specific is because in the neighborhood I grew up in, we had a few Muslim or ethnic families back then, but it was pretty a white uh, area. We were sort of the dash of olive oil in the sea of rice, as it were, um, and I wanted to spread the Islamic faith. Uh, and Christians, at least cultural Christians, were low-hanging fruit. So I would engage in conversations with them quite a bit, uh, and I'd ask them the questions like, why are you a Christian? And they would often just tell me tradition. That's their reason. Tradition was their reason. And I'd say, not good enough. Are you trusting your entire eternity to a worldview that somebody else believes? You haven't Mm -hmm. thought it through? And I'd found out that most Christians hadn't thought it through, whether they were adults or young kids. Um, And then I would start to attack the Christian faith, um, not in a mean way, but through questions and just having conversations. And I would try to substitute Islam into the gap that I had created. Well, along the way, a couple of guys were going door-to-door when I was an undergraduate at the University of Michigan, and they were going door-to-door at the apartment complexes, and they were getting a lot of doors slammed in their face. They were talking uh, about Jesus, and they wanted to talk to people about him, but no one wanted to hear it, until they came to my door. And I was like, oh man, you guys deliver. This is great. Come on Um, in. Come on in. And I made these guys pretty uncomfortable, actually, uh, for hours at a time. But they kept on coming back, no matter how many objections I would lob at them. They kept on coming back, and I grew to really admire these guys. They came not because they were trying to win an argument, because they were trying to win me. They thought, Mm -hmm. this is true, and we want Abdu in heaven. So they kept on coming back. And I wanted them in heaven, so I kept on telling them about Islam. Mm -hmm. Well, I was trying to find a contradiction in the Bible that would sort of absolutely knock them on their feet, you know, say, you guys believe in this Bible. But it's been changed so many times, and there's contradictions now in it, and here's one. Here's a contradiction you guys can't get around, but I didn't find one. Instead, what I did find was a passage in Luke chapter 3, verse 7, and the following passages as well, where John the Baptist is baptizing folks, and they come to him, and he says, Do not even begin to think to yourself, you have Abraham as your father as if that would save them from God's judgment. Mm. He says, for I tell you, God can raise up children of Abraham from the stones. Mm. And I remember thinking to myself, what John the Baptist is saying is that tradition does not save you. I had been saying the exact same thing to my Christian friends, and I'd ask them, why are you a, a Christian? And they would say, tradition. But they never had a chance to ask me why I was a Muslim. And if they asked me, I would have given them all these evidences and reasons why I was a Muslim, but fundamentally I would have to answer, well, tradition. I was raised that way, and I'm supposed to be that way. Ironically, John the Baptist's words, in a book that I didn't believe, were the very words that challenged me to say, believe it because it's true, not because it's tradition. And so that began the journey, John the Baptist's words, isn't that amazing? That here I am, a skeptic, not wanting to believe a word of this Bible, am touched by the words in the Bible to go seek out the truth, and that began a nine-year search into the evidence for the christian faith uh, evidence for the islamic faith and any other ism and schism i could think of and along the way i began to see that the the historical philosophical scientific archaeological all that evidence was pointing toward the validity of the gospel message that jesus claimed to be the son of god who took away the sins of the world and uh, that he died to take those sins away but that he rose again to prove that he was right and i intellectually assented to it it was in my mind as an intellectual assent. Mm -hmm. but i knew that the uh, biggest journey of the heart to the head couldn't be made because of the tremendous price i would have to pay identity wise culturally speaking you name it Mm -hmm. and uh, then i realized something Um, there it was you know, as a Muslim, I believed, there's this phrase Muslims always use, and people are familiar with the phrase from the news media. It's Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar is something Muslims always say, because they, it's a, it literally means God is greater. Muslims say this all the time, uh, whether uh, we hear it as battle cries and terrorist actions, but the reality is most Muslims aren't terrorists, and most of them say this as a blessing or a prayer to God. God's greatness, it literally means God is greater, and God's greatness is the single most important fact about god that muslims aspire to believe well i realized something that i used to make fun of the trinity and in the incarnation of god in christ and of the cross because i thought they insulted god's greatness but as i study these very ideas of trinity incarnation and cross i realized these are the very things that demonstrate god's greatness and i remember where i was when i read the words in romans chapter 5 verse 8 toward the end of this nine year journey where I realized that the greatest possible being, who is God, loves us in the greatest possible way, which is through self-sacrifice, and he doesn't do it like we do it. We do it for those who love us or maybe a stranger, but God does it for enemies. He turns enemies into friends, where Mm -hmm. it says, for God demonstrates his love, his boundless, pure, unlimited love for us, and that while we were sinners, those who hate God, Christ still died for us. And he did that to turn people who hate God into those who love God.
0: These revelations must have really rattled you.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: (laughs) If you're a Muslim evangelist, essentially, and Mm -hmm. the very faith that you're trying to denounce and turn people Mm -hmm. away from is coming to you and going, now hold on a minute, Abdu, wait a minute, there's truth. But fundamentally, you as a smart, well-educated, college student, like so many other college students today, and this is, I Mm. think, something that our parents cannot miss, if you have high school or college students, is that you were seeking truth, and you were going to find it no matter what. And so you said it took you nine years. Um, Do you feel that college students today are still aching to find truth?
1: You know, that's a great question, Meg. I think there are glimmers of hope that show me that they actually are. We live in, uh, as Oxford English Dictionaries had defined it at the end of uh, 2016, we live in a post-truth culture, mm-hmm. a culture that elevates preferences and feelings over facts and truth. And I think that's largely true, and as we've gone to different universities and you see the headlines that burst out you know, in at Berkeley, at Middlebury, different schools, at Yale, where you see these things happen, uh, where these protests that are feelings-based, not facts-based happen. You do see this desire for comfort, not truth. But then we go to these college campuses. Ravi and I were just at Michigan State University and uh, University of Michigan, followed by Indiana University in February. And we had thousands of kids, thousands of them. Many of them were not Christians who came. And almost all the questions we got at the Q&A line were from skeptics. And they were honest questions. They weren't gotchas. They were actually honest questions. So, you know, we, we sense a feeling of despair that our college kids are, you know, not looking at truth they're looking at feelings. And that's true. But then I see these events happen where these kids come and they ask their questions. And we've seen them come to faith. We've led mm-hmm. kids to the Lord either at these events or right after these events. And we've seen them come to faith in in such tremendous ways, and their skepticism gives way to hope and to truth. Mm -hmm. So I'm hopeful. Despite what we see today, I'm actually hopeful. So we had to train them up, though. We have to train our kids and also our parents to actually want our kids to discern and to find the truth, not just have their preferences met.
0: Exactly. And I think that one of the things that's so remarkable about what you and your team do, you know, you go to these college campuses that could be very hostile to your message, but you're really going in there to listen and to ask questions and to talk deeply with these students and I think that's why you have standing room only which mm. if somebody said you know a pastor is going to come and speak at Yale or pastor is going to go speak it and I know you're not a pastor but at University of Michigan people roll their eyes and go good luck with that but you are coming and you are meeting a deep need in these kids and that's what i love so much about what you do and you talk about that in grand central questions you talk about fundamentally that there are four questions that people need answered and these are the questions i believe college students want answered high school students want answered sometimes little kids who are very open and they are one what explains existence or is is there god two Is there an objective purpose and value to my life? You say human existence, but to my life. Three, what accounts for the human condition? Like, why is there suffering? And four, is there a better life or a salvation from our present state? And you use many worldviews and many religions to try to answer these questions. Pantheism, Hinduism, Islam, Christianity. And so you really march through the, the answers to these questions but I love that you talk first about helping kids understand why they are alive. And mm. I believe that every single parent out there needs to be able to articulate this to their kids. How do you answer that question? What explains existence? Why are you here to your college students? What do you say to them?
1: Mm, I think that that, that, that is the... Fundamental question upon which every other answer to every other question is based. That's why you've hit on it as the foundational question, Um, and just ways to um, articulate this, like what does it mean to be human, and these kind of things. I think that the you know this is one of those you know what's the meaning of life question, and no one seems to know. You know, you go to uh, uh, every time it's in a movie right before the guy who finally meets the guru with the uh, you know in the lotus position. uh, They finally find that guy at the top of mountain because for some reason meaning of life is found in mountains. If before he opens his mouth, it cuts to commercial, or it goes black, or whatever it might yeah. be, um, the unanswerable question, and it really comes down to a simple statement, it really does, is that the chief end of man is to glorify God and delight in His presence forever. But what does that mean? I answer it based on something that they care about. I think this is something that a human experience actually tells us is verifiably true. We are not only emotional beings but we're relational beings mm-hmm. far different than other animals even other animals that are what we call quote-unquote social beings monkeys and certain you know insects that, that that are hive hive creatures they don't actually have relationships they just do it for safety's reasons or for you know gathering resources that's a reductionist view that makes us down to mere animals or mere computers with chemical parts instead of mechanical parts The reality is that each one of us is a relational being. We want, crave, protect, covet, or mourn the loss of relationships. Mm -hmm. And the central meaning of life is that we are here for relationships, not only with each other, but fundamentally with God. And the best explanation for that is not a mindless pitiless, indifferent universe that doesn't care if you live or die it's not even other gods who say simply serve me and worship me so that i feel like you are giving me my due it is the god of the bible who does command that worship but what he wants from us each one of us is found in the very first story of the bible he walks and talks with adam and eve in the cool of the day he gives us the pleasure and the privilege of relationship now why is that explained in the christian god alone I think it's because god is the trinity god is a being in relationship he is eternally one god with three distinct personhoods father son holy spirit and each one of them exists in eternity in the community of the trinity so when the bible says god is love it's not that god is loving it's that god is love because he exists in this relationship and a being who exists in relationship being the first cause explains why we who are the effect want relationship so badly so if i were to say why are you alive god creates you in a selfless way he doesn't need you for relationship he already has it within himself in the trinity he creates you not so that he can have relationship he creates you and me so that you can have it, so that I can have it. So why are you alive? You are alive to glorify the God who wants to delight in your presence forever. Mm -hmm. And all the other relationships in our lives, if they're understood through this lens, the lens of a being who is perfect and wants to perfect you, every other relationship becomes better. Your parental relationships, your relationships with with your brothers and sisters, with friends, with loved ones, with romantic, they all become more solidified and better when seen through that lens.
0: So you're really answering a question too, you're wanted. You were wanted, you are wanted. And I'll tell you, as fundamental as that is, you know, I've been at this a little over 30 years, have have talked with many, many high school students who really wonder if they're wanted. Because, you know, parents are running them around, but they don't want to spend time with them. And kids feel sort of pushed to the side, pushed to the side, and the very fundamental question, am I wanted, is answered. I mean, you answer this for the kids. Parents, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Abdu Murray. We need to take a quick break, but please don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Summer's here and that means two things. One, the kids are out of school so you can have all sorts of family adventures together. And two, you're now in charge of all their meals. Honestly, it used to be a challenge to find healthy, kid-friendly meals that you can prepare easily that are not just the same PB&J every day. But now there's Sunbasket. Sunbasket's new family menu makes it easy to cook delicious, nutritionist approved recipes the whole family will love. You'll receive organic, non GMO ingredients from the best farms and fishermen right to your door. Every Sunbasket recipe comes with pre measured ingredients and easy to follow directions. Friends, I love Sunbasket because I can feed my family nutritious meals without going to the grocery store. Family menu recipes are designed for busy families with simple prep and easy cleanup in mind. And Sunbasket cleverly packed in veggies so even the kids will eat them. Go to sunbasket.com slash Meg today and get 50% off your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash Meg to get 50% off your first order. Sunbasket.com slash Meg. Look, it's no secret bra shopping is a drag. But what if you could skip the lines, the dressing rooms, all the hassle and find a perfect fitting bra in minutes? Sound good? Then check out 3rd Love. Take 3rd Love's online Fit Finder quiz and they'll recommend the bra that's right for your size and shape. 3rd Love is obsessed with finding the perfect fit. That's why they're the only lingerie brand that offers bras in half cup sizes. You may be a half cup size and you never knew it. And best of all, you can try one of Third Love's amazingly comfortable bras free for 30 days. You only pay 2 dollars for shipping and you can really try this bra. Cut the tag off, wash it, wear it all day to work, around the house, out with your friends. You might even forget that it's on. If your Third Love bra isn't your new favorite, no problem, just return or exchange it for free. Go to thirdlove.com slash Meg now to find your perfect fitting bra and try it for 30 days. That's thirdlove.com slash Meg to try your new favorite bra for free. thirdlove.com slash Meg. The second question, is there an objective purpose that I have? Do I have value as a person? How is a parent to answer that? Because they have to answer that.
1: Absolutely, and that's one of the reasons why you see kids um, so immersed in a social media that actually isolates them in a little room where their worldview is limited to 4.3 inches of a screen, mm. um, yet they feel connected to everybody else, yet isolated at the same time, alone in a crowd, as it were, because they don't feel that purpose and that value, and they look for it other places, and they, even with strangers. That's why I think there's a, a, a crisis of modesty among boys and girls. In our culture as well because it's like how do I get value if I show enough things or do enough outlandish things people will pay attention to me but I think fundamentally as parents if we tell them not only do I value you but you are eternally valued and how do you know that how do you know the value you place on someone it's not just a sacrifice of money and buying them stuff it's a sacrifice of time Mm -hmm. it's a sacrifice of things like putting aside things you care about to show them I'll do what you want. Mm-hmm. Not always, not, not treating them as gods themselves, right. but uh, having a healthy give and take exchange. I think fundamentally it comes down to the cross itself. I had a friend who asked me a question about it when his mom died. He's like, "How could this God be good and value me or my mother when He let her die so young?" Yeah. After empathizing he, he was and quite young, like
0: ten, ten years old, right?
1: Absolutely, then, he was ten years old. And, yeah, ten, and, he, and cancer. he didn't
0: want to believe in God because He took his mother. Right? Is that correct?
1: Yeah. And he said. Yeah, absolutely. And he said, "How can he? He this God values me or my mother.'" And the question becomes this, and I think this is how we answer our kids sometimes, and I answer my kids this way as well. How do you know anything is valuable? How do you know? You know how how valuable something is to you, by what you're willing to pay for it. And I'll give them examples in their own lives. But my friend, I told him, you know, a blind, pitiless, indifferent universe does not value your mother. She came and went, and the universe did not blink. The mountains don't care. The galaxies just don't care. Um, But you clearly do, and you know how valuable something is by how much you're willing to pay for it. And you can rest assured, because of the history, the the reality of the cross and the reality of the resurrection, as a matter of history, that the infinite God values your mother immeasurably because he paid an immeasurable price to spend an eternity with her. I know how valuable your mother is because she is immeasurably valuable based on the price that was paid for her and paid for you. And that's when he looked at me and he said, that's worth believing. That's mm. worth thinking about. Uh-huh. I think if we instill that sense in our kids, not just that mom and dad value them, and we have to, we have to actually just not only say it, but actually act like it, um, but tell them, even when you don't feel valued by me because I'm a human being and I'm going to let you down, even when your friends don't seem to value you because they're going to let you down, even when you don't seem to value yourself, you don't base your, your value on feeling. You base it on fact, mm-hmm. because feelings come and go, and they're, and they're treacherous, Especially in young kids, they're treacherous because they're not reliable. But facts don't let you down because facts are true no matter how you feel about them. So in those times when you're desperate because your feelings or your friends or even your parents let you down, you can know I can cling to an eternal value because God himself has shown me that he values me eternally. That means you have to be able to prove the resurrection. That means you have to be able to prove that Jesus died as a matter of history. And the good news is there's plenty of proof for this. But if we instill that into our kids, nothing can shake them, I think, when they have that kind of a knowledge.
0: You know, you just gave a perfect reason for why parents need truth. I find that, you know, when we saw morality come apart at the seams, 30 years ago 25 years ago and moral yeah. relativism stepped in and now there isn't even moral relativism there's just there's just feelings there's no moral anything and yeah. i think that a lot of parents are grappling with well what right do i have to tell my kids what to believe and what right do i have to do that because isn't truth just my perception isn't truth just how i feel i mean we see this with this the the whole push on the fluid sexuality and gender identity and which is really a craze it's not a it's not um you know true transgender kids are extremely rare in our culture but now they're trying to make it the norm because we want everything to be on the table acceptable because as long as you feel it and perceive it then it's right so how do you tell parents you have to teach their kids that there is truth outside of you and outside of them because it's mm-hmm. only through truth that you can answer these fundamental questions. Why are you mm. alive? Why do you matter? And, and what is pain and suffering all about? Because if you don't answer it through a biblical sense, where do you turn abdu? What, what are parents right. to say
1: well, I think that you've hit, hit it right on the head is that one of the things I've seen, and parents have come up to me and said, oh, my child is going through this, or my son or my daughter, very bright. They've turned away from the faith, or, or they've um, gone into this thing where they've lived a, a, a lifestyle that they would never have thought to live even a year ago. And so I ask them a question. It's like, well, do, what do you answer their questions? How do you answer their questions? And they often say, well, they don't even ask me questions about this stuff. Yeah. Or even if they did, this is the way it is, son, and we don't question around here. We just believe. And I've had to make a harsh statement. Well, if you want to make an atheist out of your kid, that's a good way to do it, is to make sure you shut down questions. Yeah, um, yeah. I, think, I think the thing that we as parents have to do is cultivate an atmosphere where any question can be asked, no matter how shocking it might be, no matter how off-putting or disturbing you might think it is, so that they come to you. Because they're going to ask somebody And if they don't ask you, they're going to ask the culture, and the culture has no interest in their well-being. The culture has no interest in anchoring them in truth and has every interest in catering to their feelings, which is a dangerous thing. So we have to cultivate that kind of atmosphere.
0: It leads to chaos. It leads to cultural chaos because mm. ultimately you have people sort of killing each other because their personal experience trumps another person's personal experience. And the questions that I get from parents are very, very disturbing about what's going on in their homes and their lack of, of answer. I recently had a mother ask a question about her husband was uh, into pornography. He he was wanted an open marriage. They had two young girls. She finally left and he now wants, he has 50-50 custody, he now wants their daughters to live with him part-time while a married woman comes and lives with them in their home. And she said, what do Mm. I say? And I just want to pull out my hair, Abdu, because Mm. this is going on everywhere. Nothing is right, nothing is bad, nothing is wrong. And I think that a lot of times parents don't want to hear their kids' questions because I think we don't know the answers. Do you think that's right?
1: Oh, I think that's absolutely right. I think one of the things, uh, and I can tell you story upon story about this, is that when I ask teenagers, especially, well, why aren't you asking your parents about this? Or even your pastor sometimes. It's like, because I'm afraid they won't have answers. Mm. They're not actually afraid that you'll yell at them. They're not afraid that you'll react. They're afraid that you don't have answers, and they don't want to humiliate their parents, or they don't want to sit there and say, if they don't have answers, then maybe there aren't answers out there and I've got to make them up. Oftentimes, they're afraid to ask their parents because they think their parents don't have the answer. And I think if we cultivate an atmosphere of we like questions we have this thing at our dinner table where our kids get to ask anything they want or they'll write things down and my daughters or my son will say hey you got a couple questions uh can we uh, after we you know after bedtime prayer can we talk about them and they ask some hard-hitting questions uh the gender issues come up the uh sexuality questions come up why do we dress modestly why do i why should i do this when my friends are doing this kind of a thing i mean my eight-year-old daughter has an atheist friend my ten year old daughter has an atheist friend my thirteen year old son has an extremely vocal atheist friend um, so they're being hit with the questions anyway. I hope that they're 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 willing to ask them and and talk to us about them. Because I think that if they feel their parents don't have answers, then they'll come to you with questions because you'll have the answers. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing, and I know you know this, Meg, because of the work you do so well, is that the kids really take them in, the answers in, when you work not to just give them the answers, but you work through a conversation in a way that they give themselves the answers. Because once they own it, they don't lose it.
0: So you really have to teach them by asking them questions to their questions, which is what I love. As I watch you, um, and anybody, as I said, who has not heard you speak, uh, Robbie speak, you've got to get to go to RZIM website and find a place where they're going to be speaking near you and get there. Buy a plane ticket and get there. Because what you do so beautifully is when young adults ask you hard-hitting questions, you listen so carefully and you Give a thoughtful response, but you tease more out of them. So you don't, you're not afraid of them. And I think a lot of parents are afraid of their kids because we really don't know the answers. And I think that's why your book, Grand Central Questions, is so wonderful because it really equips parents. This is how you do this, and this is how you do this. Not just this is how you do it, but this is why you do it. We only have a little bit of time left, but talk about the importance of listening to your kids. Uh, Because again, a lot of parents, I find, have difficulty answering difficult questions. But even getting their kids to engage, I can't tell you how many parents say to me, my kids just don't listen, my kids don't want to talk to me, my kids live in their own different world. How do parents begin to sort of draw their kids into deeper relationship with them so that they can have some of these conversations? Um, Because a lot of Christian parents... Live with a bias that their kids are taught, you know, your parents are narrow-minded bigots, they hate homosexuals, Mm -hmm. um, they don't Mm -hmm. know a thing about sexuality, so don't listen to them, go elsewhere for your questions. How do parents begin to um, engage their young adults into a better relationship and questions?
1: A great question. I think one of the ways that uh, I've done it with my kids, uh, though they're not young adults yet, but I've done it with young adults. Um, when they talk to me is I've asked them a question and the questions you can ask you can stay in control of a conversation and get to the heart of something if you ask two questions what do you mean by and pick your you know statement or how do you know those two questions are always great at getting at the heart of something but I think another question I've often asked young adults is hey I love your opinion on blank Wow, What do you think of that? I'd love to hear what you have to say about this, because it's such a big issue. I'd love to hear what you have to say. And it might be hard to, to get it out of them, but coax it out of them. What is your, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to hear it. I often ask them, what's your opinion? I'd love to get your opinion on this. And how did you get to that opinion? How did you get there? And just listen. The hardest thing to do in the world for a, for a parent. When uh, you want to get your kids to listen to you, once in a while we have to think about, do we listen to our kids? And give them a space where they can ask these questions and actually give their opinions.
0: Absolutely. And I think one of the mistakes we make, I don't know if fathers make it as readily as mothers, but we ask a question because we want to sting them. We want, we mm. want their opinion because we want to teach them how their opinion is wrong. So mm. we really need to be sincere when we ask these questions. What is your opinion and, and, and why did you come to believe that and how did you conclude that? Not to set them up to show them how wrong they are, but to let them know we really want to hear and value their opinion. Um, mm. And on so many levels, that strengthens our relationship with our kids because it lets our kids know A, I like talking to you, B, I value your, your opinion, even if I completely disagree with it, and C, I'm open to hear anything that you have to say any time and you don't frighten me. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times kids feel, as you said, that they frighten, their questions frighten their parents. Their parents aren't going to have the answers. Mm. And that is going to make them feel that the rug underneath their feet is pulled out because if their parents don't know and their parents don't understand, then that that really rattles kids. Um, it really rattles kids and then they, they end up going other places and learning to believe that it's their perception and their experience that really matters so Mm. Abdu this has just been a wonderful wonderful conversation I know that our listeners are going to love this podcast because you have so much information to give to parents and to teach parents, not just about parenting, but about teaching their kids about life and value and meaning. So again, your book, which is fabulous, is Grand Central Questions. I encourage every single parent who is a thoughtful parent who loves their kids and wants to be able to give their kids some solid answers and walk through some difficult conversations to read it, because it really will equip parents. So thank you so much for being with me today, Abdu.
1: It's just my honor. To thank you, Meg.
0: All right, parents, let's get social. I want to hear from you. I wanna interact with you. You can connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MegMeekerMD. Or if you have a question, please send it to AskMeg at megmeekermd.com. dot com. Today I have a question from Rhonda who writes, Dear Dr. Meg, "'My husband and I have been married for over nine years, "'but I recently found out he's having an affair. "'He's convinced himself our marriage was damaged "'and we'd grown so far apart "'because different people think that it's beyond repair, "'though I disagree. "'Instead of continuing to work on our marriage, "'he's choosing to continue seeing the other woman "'and we're currently separated.' I could use your insight on how to help my four-year-old feel safe and secure and down the road still have hope in marriage and relationships. She understands that mommy and daddy have separate homes now and we both spend a lot of time with her. She's been lashing out a little more with me lately as far as temper tantrums, hitting and being defiant. I'm trying to find a balance between giving her time to adjust but not letting her get away with things without discipline. Well, Rhonda, first of all, I wanna say I'm very sorry for the difficult that you're going through and that your daughter is going through. Unfortunately, many wives are in your situation and many husbands as well with an unfaithful spouse and a marriage that dissolves. And they are left with dealing with a young child and helping that child do several different things at once. First, your responsibility is help your daughter adjust to the new norm in life, which is going to be dad and I are not living together anymore. And this has disrupted your whole world. It's made you feel unsafe and insecure. And my job as your mom is to help you get through the next few years as you adjust to our new norm. First, I want you to remember it's going to take your daughter time and it's going to take you time. So for the next year or two, and maybe even longer, you are going to see your daughter's feelings come out sideways. She's going to be erratic. She's going to be angry. She's going to burst into tears for seemingly no reason. And she may have some sleep difficulties. When these things happen, just begin to comfort her, ride with her. It's important that if she's having some fears that you calm her fears. Don't disregard them. Don't tell her to not feel what she feels, but let her feel what she feels. But also teach her that when you're feeling these things, for instance, when you're angry, there still are rules. Yes, you feel like screaming and you feel like lashing out. But when you do so, your feelings are okay. But here are the rules when you're lashing out. You can't hit mom. You can't say mean things. You can't ruin stuff and you can't hit your baby brother, for instance. So in other words, tell your daughter that there's a good way and an unhealthy way to express your anger. Even at four, she can understand that. Second thing I would do is ask her questions, very open-ended questions. How do you feel when you're over at Daddy's? How do you feel when you're at Mommy's? Do you feel different at Daddy's than at Mommy's? Talk her through some things she's already feeling and thinking about, but she doesn't know how to articulate. For instance, are you missing Mommy when you're at Daddy's? Are you missing Daddy when you're at Mommy's? that's normal and I get that and my job is to help you with that. So when you validate her feelings, it helps her do a couple of things. First of all, it helps her work through those feelings more quickly and it helps her learn that something is wrong with her. She's normal. She's responding normally to a very difficult situation. Second thing that I encourage you to do is you need to deal with your own grief. You know, your marriage fell apart. You are missing your husband. Um, A dream has disappeared. It's very important for you to deal with your feelings apart from your daughter. You don't want to process any of those feelings in front of your daughter. You don't want to show anger towards your husband in front of your daughter. So I encourage you to, Find a close friend or a counselor, somebody that you can process your hurt and your pain with. It's very, very important for you to do so that it doesn't come into your parenting. Uh, the third thing that's very important to do as your daughter gets older is to continue to say, you know what, honey, marriage is a wonderful thing and there are great marriages out there and mommy did love daddy and does love daddy, but sometimes people think and feel differently. We look at the world differently and we disagree on things. And our marriage came apart and I'm so sorry for that, but I want you to know that a lot of marriages don't. So marriage is still a very good thing. You're gonna have to infuse a lot of positive reinforcement of marriage as an institution to your daughter as she gets older. It's particularly important as she gets into her teen years. I, uh, for instance, when I hear of a young couple who have announced their engagement, I always tell them I'm so excited for them. You know, many people, when they hear that somebody's engaged, they say, oh, good luck to you. Oh, you know, you're on your final days of freedom, or enjoy life while you still have some. Don't do that, you know. I always say, you know what, I've been married 36 years, and I love being married. It's hard, yes, In their days I wish I weren't, yes, but overall, it's a wonderful thing. It's very important, to help your daughter deal with her feelings in a healthy way and establish rules while she's angry every child needs that second help yourself deal with your hurt outside of your daughter recruit a friend or a a counselor somebody to help you deal with that and third reinforce positive messages about marriage over the next 10 and 15 years you can do that I know you can you know, parents, I just love answering your questions. So please keep sending them in to me. I answer as many as I possibly can. You can email me any of your parenting questions to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. I would like to now thank my wonderful guest and friend Abdu Murray I hope you enjoyed talking with him as much as I did I could have spent three hours just listening to Abdu I don't know about you if you haven't ever heard his messages or read any of his books just Google him Abdu Murray he's at rzimministries.com so let's recap my points to ponder one tell your children that any question is welcome anytime two Grow closer to your kids by asking them questions and be careful not to answer them. Let them answer them. Three, teach your children that objective truth does indeed exist. So until next time, parents, remember, great kids are raised, not born. Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Maker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening to episode 36, Kids and Faith. And thanks to you, Dr. Meg's parenting revolution has grown to over a million downloads. You can like Dr. Meeker on Facebook and follow her on Twitter and Instagram at MegMeekerMD. Just as a reminder, go to MegMeekerMD.com and sign up for her newsletter for giveaway opportunities and updates. And don't forget to share the podcast, write us a review, and click subscribe so you won't miss an episode.